Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast with me, Chris, and our second ever episode of our sub-series, Home is Where You Park It. Today we speak with Lynn, who lives that van life, and we're going to chat through a typical year, starting off teaching skiing at a very high level in Montana, and ending up in Tennessee, where she teaches kayaking and chases the, the white water towards the shoulder seasons. Really nice conversation with Lynn, really fun information to find out from her, and I really hope you enjoy it too. If you're listening to this and you think, geez, I'd like to come on the show, then please do email me on btmtravelpod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at btmtravelpod. But otherwise, with no further ado, let's get straight into it. So hello, Lynn. Thank you so much for coming on Between the Pod uh, Between the Mountains podcast. <laughs> How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm brilliant. Thank you very much. It's a nice, nice, cool evening in England. So, uh, yeah, things things are going well. Um, so we, we come on the show for for another episode of um, uh, Home is Where You Park It, which is the sort of van life series I've started, and. We're going to have a chat about your typical year, which is quite adventurous, especially to the normal person, I think. Um, I suppose a good place to start off would be what what are you living in and what, what modifications have you got to it? Yeah, um, I live in a 92 um, Ford Falcon. It's like a Ford Econoline camper van. Um, nice. It's about 19 feet long and six and a half feet tall on the inside so it's pretty spacious and roomy i guess as far as vans go yeah perfect and what uh, have you got any modifications sort of it? I, I think you mentioned before this it's not quite instagram worthy but there's still some little tweaks to it, i think yeah yeah so the kind of van that i have it's like a you know it's like a camper van from the 90s so it's got all of this sweet like 90s things built into it it's got like a fold-out couch for a bed and like all of this other stuff um and then basically the only modifications i really did to it um is i pulled out all of the bathroom stuff and built a shelf in there and then i put in um a wood stove which is really nice to have in the winter for obvious reasons yeah but i think more so for you i think <laughs> because um well let's so let's start talking about your year. And I think the, the, the best place to start it would be where you started off with your notes to me before as well, which would be the winter. Um, so it's not just winter in a town. Uh, where, where do you spend your winters? Um, in the winter, I live in Big Sky, Montana. So just north of Yellowstone National Park. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And, um, and using that wood burner, you are teaching skiing, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I teach skiing in the winter. Um, so, yeah, it's, like, difficult to find housing in a resort town, um, especially yeah. if you're just living there for a few months out of the year, and especially if you've got a dog. Um, so the van is kind of a nice way to make sure that I've got, like, some place to live in the winter. Um, yeah. Perfect. It's um so yeah, it's a nice setup then just to climb in. Uh, staying warm, I think you just said you put many layers on top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I use the wood stove like in the evenings when I'm in there cooking and hanging out and reading or whatever. And then um, it's a pretty small marine wood stove, so I have to yeah. like when I'm running it, I'm putting fuel in it every like 40 minutes or so. So oh, at geez. night, I just like yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely 
uh, definitely a project keeping it running for sure. But, um, so like, you know, at night I just put on a bunch of layers and I've got two sleeping bags and I wear a hat and my dog like climbs in my sleeping bag with me. And um, yeah, yeah. It's actually like pretty, pretty warm and cozy. I don't really mind it, um, at all when it gets to be like negative 10 Fahrenheit. That's usually when I'm like, all right, I'm going to call up a friend and see if I can (laughs) spend a night on the couch. (laughs) For sure. And I said, I said it's nice that the dog climbs in. I suppose, what what breed of dog is it? Because that that could be super nice and comfy, or very very uncomfortable with you. <laughs> yeah, um, she's pretty small. She's like a thirty pound border collie Australian Shepherd mix. So she's oh, nice. a nice, yeah, compact size. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. And, the, and enough of a brain about it as well to to have a bit of a connection and run around and train it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's kind of like living with a tiny Velociraptor. I, sometimes she learns <laughs> stuff that I wish she would unlearn. <laughs> perfect and you you're so you're teaching skiing up in montana and you said it's to a high level what are we talking are we talking black slopes are we talking training celebrities what what level are we we we're talking about um so i have my psia level two which is uh i think in england you guys have uh Basie, and i th- think that's like in between a level two and a level three in Basie. Um, but so basically that certifies me to teach people like at a super high level. Um, so in America we have one is a never ever and then level nine is kind of the highest that our classification of students goes. So I can take level nine skiers to diamond and then at Big Sky we actually have triple black diamond terrain. So I can take take students up there um which is obviously super fun i mean it's the dream right you get paid to paid to ski challenging stuff with cool people um i don't really train that many celebrities yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah watch this space (laughs) right perfect yeah you're right though that is that is kind of the dream i'm only marginally jealous (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean they're no go on sorry Oh, I was going to say, I mean, there are definitely like days that are like, you know, work as well, like where you're, you know, maybe like skiing with uh, a bunch of kids that maybe don't really want to learn that much. And they're kind of like intermediate skiers. And, you know, you're it's not all it's not all like epic powder days all the time, but it is it is super fun. I like wake up every morning excited to go to work, which is awesome. Yeah, brilliant. I was going to ask you that question, actually, Look, looking at your blog, which uh, I'll put in the description of this podcast, actually, your, your blog. Um, looking at the blog, the uh, I could see a couple of entries. And I was thinking, how do you go about uh, bettering people who are perhaps struggling to struggling to perform at the level that you're trying to teach them at or, or perhaps don't or maybe on the outside, at least don't want to go for that level? Um. It kind of depends on the student. Like if I'm working with like an adult woman, usually they're pretty nervous and their goal isn't to like ski something that makes them feel scared. So with them, I'll just sort of focus on, you know, like what are you comfortable on now? And like, how can I help you feel more smooth and better on that? So then maybe, you know, we can start taking you to terrain where you're a little bit less comfortable but you've got like the skills foundation to be like okay I can feel confident about this and figure out how to tackle it in a way that makes sense yeah that's perfect do you obvious question coming up after that do you see men get a bit overly confident and want to push themselves too far too quickly 
um, anyway. yeah, uh, I think there's, yeah, definitely, um, guys in their twenties seem to, to do that fairly frequently. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, <laughs> I think what I run into more with that, uh, that like genre of person is more that they're not always super willing to like listen to me because I'm you know a, a female and not not like a you know broy like <laughs> dude that you know so I think that sometimes can be a little bit challenging of just like getting them to to trust that you know you know what you're doing and that they'll benefit from listening to you yeah for sure for sure but I suppose you, you can get that in any in a, any circumstance any lesson I suppose is you, you're going to get people a bit like that yeah no totally yeah you have to like earn people's trust in you or you know we call it like developing rapport you have to get them to to believe in you as an instructor and that you have their best interests at heart and you're going to be able to like help them accomplish their goals i've just got pictures of you lining this one of your workmates lining up all the students and then making them wait five minutes past the start of the lesson and then out of nowhere you come skiing down hit a ramp do a flip <laughs> hit a grind and then land in front of them and they go that's why i'm your teacher <laughs> yeah. That'd be a good way to yeah. get respect. <laughs> oh yeah for sure i'll have to i'll have to incorporate that into my uh, my meet and greet routine next winter yeah exactly yeah fashionably late epic entries <laughs> <laughs> yeah perfect so that's your kind of winter season in a nutshell is there anything else we need to know about before we start moving on um i don't i don't think so perfect nice and straightforward well, I mean, on the face of it, at least, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So winter season is over, then. You, you, you're sort of finishing up the finishing up the skiing, finishing up the lessons. Where do you drive to next, and what do you do? Um, typically, from the end of ski season, I'll just roll right into kayaking. Um, during the ski season, it's pretty, like, make hay while the sun shines, so I'll have you know, like sometimes 20, 30 days in a row where I'm working like seven days in a row. So after the ski season ends, um, I take some time off to kind of recharge and, you know, do, do my thing for a while. Um, and usually what that looks like is I'll take about a month off and go on a kayaking trip somewhere. Um, so last spring I went to Idaho for a while and then ended up going on this epic road trip from Idaho to Southern California mm. and kayaked in there and then sort of worked my way north um, and then went back to Montana and drove out to Tennessee for, for my next job. Wow. That sounds like a dream. Yeah. But I suppose you're, you're building up, you're building up a, a lot of, uh, a lot of bank, I suppose, by, by, by staying in the van, by staying focused and teaching, that means you get to take that month off and kind of stress-free almost. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm like, you know, able to just like spend money willy-nilly, but I do, no, you know, yeah, I like, I'll like budget for a trip and yeah. So that's, yeah. that's the one advantage about working so much is that you do have uh, enough cash on hand typically to go do something cool in your time off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice side effect of not of not spending, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, so uh, you're in Tennessee then? 
So let's let's. Uh, how long are you there for? So I know you mentioned you have a van that that treats you for three seasons. Are we still in that van? What was that? You said it um, before we started that you had a van that you had for about three of the seasons. Is that still the van that we're in now? Um. So under ordinary circumstances, yes, but I ended up leaving that van um, in Montana because I didn't really have the time to get it repaired before I, you know, fled from the <laughs> coronavirus to Tennessee. Um, but yeah, typically, so like last summer I brought that van out um, and I was, yeah, living in that in Tennessee. This summer I've got um, a different van. I've got a Honda Odyssey that I'm kind of using as my, my like temporary sort of daily driver nice van yeah perfect so we're there at the moment how, how long do you spend in tennessee or, or wherever you choose to go kayaking and are you instructing there yeah um so i yeah i teach kayaking in tennessee and kind of the busy season for that runs from mid-may through the end of august um and then there awesome. are a bunch of like dam release rivers that run from august through november so kind of I'm pretty locked into Tennessee for the summer, and then in the fall, I'll be kind of chasing whitewater, um, North Carolina, West Virginia, uh, Georgia, kind of, you know, a bunch of stuff around there. Nice. Honestly, honestly it sounds like a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is very fun. I'm, I'm really lucky that I get to have this lifestyle for sure. I was going to ask, um, what is it about kayaking and getting on the water that, that calls you to it each year? Um, well, so um, I initially started raft guiding because I wanted to have a cool summer job um, and kind of did that, you know, just almost more like a like a hobby, I guess, for a while. And then there was this one winter um that was super warm and super rainy and I kind of had this like personal crisis about you know climate change and what am I gonna do if there's no more winter and I can't yeah. you know ski as much as yeah. I want to yeah. <laughs> um yeah <laughs> and so then I was like all right I need I need to develop my summer sport and I started to get into kayaking a lot more seriously um and now that's what I do you know pretty much all of the time in the year where I'm not skiing, I'm I'm chasing whitewater somewhere. Jeez, that's fantastic. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. is, and is it always Tennessee you go to for the summer period? Uh, no, this is actually only my second summer in Tennessee. Um, before that, I was going, I went to Colorado for three summers. And then before that, I was just um, traveling around different spots in Montana to go boating. So are you by Tennessee just by logistics or do you find it's better better to be kayaking and teaching down Tennessee? Is it better water? Um, kind of both. So I got offered a job teaching kayaking in Tennessee, which is like why I initially came out here. Um, before mm -hmm. that, I was just raft guiding, which is um, which is fun. But after doing that for like seven summers, I was like, OK, I maybe <laughs> maybe need to to do something else. Um, so I got yeah. the job teaching kayaking and moved out to Tennessee and Tennessee turns out is like a great place to learn because the water is super warm um so like in the Rocky Mountain area the water is like really brutally cold until sometimes until like mid-July so if you're trying to learn out there not only are you like you know nervous and scared and doing something that you're nervous and scared about you're also dealing with like really frigid water 
And yeah. so in Tennessee, the water's like bathtub warm, you know, by like oh. by like June. Yeah. So it's like you're just like, okay, this is nice. Like it takes away that sort of uh stress of being like, well, I might be kind of hypothermic right now. <laughs> yeah, it make it makes it more relaxing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like, and then oh, you can no, actually focus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can actually, you know, focus on um on what you're learning instead of how cold you are. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What is what's one thing that differs when you're teaching down in Tennessee than up on the slopes in Montana? What's one thing that's different? Yeah, as far as far as your lessons go, as far as what you're doing, other than the obvious one you're in a boat. <laughs> um I think skiing tends to be a lot more um skill focused and then kayaking you're teaching people new skills but it's also a lot more um kind of like emotion emotion management of your student you know like I'm I'm noticing paying a lot of attention to their emotional states and like you can tell sometimes if somebody's like getting really nervous or scared because their body language changes a lot and if I see that then it's like okay I need to I need to like take the fear down a level for them, you know, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) however I can do that. So they can sort of like refocus and be able to start learning again instead of just being super gripped. I mean, I was going to ask you about that as well. I'm someone who, especially, you know, when I was younger, I was a bit of a a scaredy cat is what we'd say. I I guess you'd say the same thing in America. We definitely say it in England. (laughs) Yeah, we say that out here. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. Uh, So uh, I I was a a wimp, I suppose, is one way you could say it. Um, And that sort of changed as I grew old, as as it does with a lot of people. And in recent years, I've really taken a big view of just pushing yourself and understanding the the logic behind something rather than letting the emotion of what if taking over. you mentioned people getting scared of the water. What, how do you go about dealing with fear? And what would you say a advice you'd give to someone who gets a bit scared going down a black slope? Or we call it black slopes in Europe, but I think you had said triple diamond earlier. Yeah, we have we have black diamonds as well, and then we have I don't yeah. know. You guys just have like the the three colors, right? Well, yeah, well, yeah. I think it's uh, blue, blue, red, black. But then um, it's green if you're learning. <laughs> yeah. So I guess yeah. Then then our triple or double blacks would probably be like your guys's blacks um let's see so So a bit of advice for for people who get a little bit a little bit nervous on on those those points um something that really helps for me is to just sort of like take a moment to notice where I am so if I'm like looking at a rapid and I'm like getting starting to get that kind of like fear like shut down feeling I'll take a moment to just be like wow like it's so beautiful out here. Like I'm in this, you know, this place that I would never have come to if it weren't for my kayak and like, you know, Oh, there's a squirrel or whatever. And just sort of try to like ground myself in the environment. And then usually as soon as I'm like, man, like I'm so excited to be here, then that sort of helps lessen some of the fear and get it to a a spot where it's like, it's still there, but it's like more manageable. It's just like, you know, it's not, it's not an obstacle anymore. It's just like part of, part of where I'm at Um, and I think with students when they're starting to get nervous um, I do like point out you know wildlife and stuff to them but I try to um, I try to point out 
like the objective risks in their environment and be like, hey, like, I know you're nervous about doing this move, but like you're right above a big pool of water. So like the worst thing that can happen is you swim and you end up in this like really calm spot on the river. And like, that's really, that's not that bad, you know, like mm. try to temper their, their nervousness with just some, some facts about where they are, I guess. So I guess what we're trying to do is stop tunnel vision rather than getting so focused. And then the what if start creeping into your head but also get a, get a bit of perspective, I think. Yeah. yeah. Because it always makes the problem of... seem much smaller. <laughs> when you have perspective, yeah. 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 Yeah, being able to take in that whole big picture instead of just super narrowly focused on whatever is making you nervous. Yeah. Um, there's a guy called Ant Middleton, um, and he has a technique called the fear bubble, which is where he... He will he actually visualize a bubble at the area where he should be scared. So when you're approaching the rapids, he'll be absolutely fine. But he imagines the bubble is is where the rapids are. So he's absolutely fine, absolutely fine. And he lets himself go into that bubble. He lets that adrenaline and that fear take over. And so his body can do what it needs to do to get through the fight or flight syndrome. Obviously, he chooses fight. <laughs> um, and um, and then when he comes out the other side, bubble bubbles popped and he's out of it and he's calm again. And that's, I think that's a good technique as well. Yeah, that's so, super interesting. Yeah. Going back to the van, you're going from you know like you said minus 10 fahrenheit i can't do the conversion in celsius but man minus 10 fahrenheit all i know is it's really cold to uh the bathtub level waters in tennessee is there any modification or what's one crucial modification you make to the van when you're when you're going from climb to climb um i think Obviously, what I'm wearing changes quite a bit. You know, I'm mm. definitely not sleeping in two sleeping bags and, and hats and stuff in Tennessee. Um, <laughs> and then in the southeast, also, I'm pretty careful about the direction that I park. So I can like there's like a, a door halfway down my van that like separates the back where the stove is from like kind of the bedroom area. Yeah. So I'll park with that facing south and I'll put up like Reflectix, which is this flexible, um, like shiny insulated layer. It's pretty cheap. And I'll put that up in the windows and stuff to sort of reflect the heat out. Um, and then I'm pretty diligent about trying to open the van doors as soon as it starts cooling off. Like I'll just open all of them up and let the air circulate through there um i would i would love to have ac in my van but <laughs> yeah i don't really know if that's that's uh realistic but it would be an expensive retrofit i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it would it might not so i don't own a van uh modified oh it's on the list there's <laughs> a long list of things to do in the meantime one thing i have done though is camped in my car i put the back seats down put some padding down and just sort of slept in the back and one thing i always try and do is keep the boot uh boot where i kick it open in the morning somewhere with a nice view and if i can sunset or sunrise facing is that something you've ever done and do you have any good sunset spots um or do we keep it nice and logical and functional to the uh, to the south where the stove is? I think, uh, I think in the summer I'm definitely pretty inclined to just park like 
as functionally as possible. But like in the shoulder season, when I'm traveling around, um, I do really like having a nice view out of my out of my windshield. So that way, when I you know sit up in the morning because I sleep with my feet towards the driver's seat, I sit up in the morning and I can look out and see see something gorgeous. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm trying. I'm not really. That's totally fine. Yeah, because because I was gonna say is Tennessee's a different climate to the UK, so I, I can afford to to get those sunrise sunset spots and not melt. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I definitely I really like parking by um, moving water. That's kind of like my preferred, like yeah. my ideal parking spot is somewhere you know nice and flat by some sort of moving water. Um, in the winter, my parking spot is right next to the river. And it's like, it's so awesome to just, you know, be able to kind of faintly hear it through the walls and like yeah. get up in the morning and, you know, you can just like hear the river and it's like, oh, like I'm outside. It's gorgeous, great. It? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Such a soothing sound. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Perfect. So before we get to any wrap up questions, is there anything we need to know about uh, about summer and shoulder season for you? Um. Not really that I can think of off the top of my head. Perfect, perfect. Other than other than that, there are many epic road trips in between locations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It takes uh, three days to drive from Montana to Tennessee, so it's definitely it's a it's an epic for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> three days is enough to get to the top and down in the UK. So. Oh really? So, yeah. Well, then mind you, I've done road trips to Norway and road trips to Switzerland and back. So. So yeah, I've got, I've I've had a similar European experience, I guess. <laughs> but I think America's landscape can be so much more drastic. So, yeah, yeah. Know, I was actually thinking about that today. I was like, man, if I was driving like three days anywhere in Europe, I bet I would be like, I would go through, I don't know, two, three countries probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more than I think, more than that. Yeah, more than that. Plus, also, you'd get some nice scenery, but then there'd be long gaps in between where it's just road. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just motorway. Um, so, yeah. So, perfect. So, from from teaching on what I call black slopes uh, in the winter to relaxing by the, by the running water in the summer, if you had to choose one moment to do each year, and that's the only moment you're allowed to do, which one would it be? Oh man, between skiing and kayaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um that's a that's a pretty hard question. Um mm. I actually I get asked that often and it's it's hard because they're so different. Like I like them for different reasons. Um yeah. I think Uh, well, so I'll qualify this ski season just ended and I'm just now recovering from a shoulder injury. So I think if I had to pick one sport to do year round for this year, I would probably pick kayaking, um, just because I've had to take a pretty long hiatus with my shoulder injury and then ski season and all of that. So I think yeah. very qualified, qualified answer. I think I yeah. would pick kayaking for this year. <laughs> for this year. Perfect. <laughs> we'll have to get you back on next year and see see if the answer right. changes. For sure. <laughs> so one comment you made uh, in the interview and also before, and, and it's also kind of 
when you look at your your blog and your website, it's kind of paramount on there too. You said a quote, which is a uh, make hay when the sun shines. How important is that view and that sort of approach to life to you when it comes to van life and the outdoors? Um, I think it's I think it's super important. Like it definitely kind of guides my work ethic you know like when you're when you're in the trenches and you've worked 15 days without a day off and you're staring down the barrel of like another 15 days of work it's nice to kind of be like well you know like I get through this busy time and I know that you know the season's gonna end or people are gonna stop coming out on vacation or whatever and I'm gonna have some time to myself and I think that kind of it's definitely a sharper contrast than you would have in like a more traditional like Monday to Friday job. But I think, you know, then when I get to that, that period of time where I have a vacation, I feel like I've really earned it. And I also feel like I want to like really make the most of it and get after it and go do something cool that like I want to do for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So final question. And I thought I'd leave it on a bit of a fun one. And, and especially especially as you just said kayaking as well. It'd be interesting to see what you say now. Uh, you, you typically just teach skiing in the one location. So my question is, when the season's over, you can only go to one place. What place is that to kayak? And what are the mandatory road trip songs? <laughs> oh, man. Um, if I could only go to one place to kayak for a whole season... Um, I think, um, I might pick the Pacific Northwest. I was going to go out there this spring, but didn't get to because of the coronavirus. Um, I think I would probably pick going out there. Um, there's a lot of rivers that are like on my list that I haven't gotten to do that are out there. And then mandatory road trip songs. Um, this could be <laughs> I listen, I listen to a lot of podcasts actually while I'm driving across the country. Um, and when I get really tired, I really like to listen to songs that I know the words to. So I'll just like, you know, it'll be like dark out and I've been driving for forever and I'm just like going down the road singing loudly and badly. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really like old crow medicine show for that. Um, I listen to a lot of John Prine. Um, and then, you know, if I need to listen to peppy stuff, I'll listen to like Biggie or, uh, you know, bad pop songs, Taylor Swift, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the song, songs that we all know the words to, but we don't admit it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> totally, all of those. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's really been my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been fun. I really really enjoyed that session I hope you did too Lynn has a fantastic website and blog which I'd recommend you check out I did reference it a couple of times in the podcast it sparked a couple of questions I had actually which is quite nice but if you'd like to check it out link is down below if you'd like to come to the show please get in touch with me and yeah if, if you'd like to share the podcast spread the love that's the best way for us to grow and end and up with something rather quite epic if you do that i will promise to try and be better so i hope you enjoyed it and i'll see you in the next one thank you